Diet, Nutrition and Wellbeing, a Kinship Carers Victoria podcast. This podcast is part of a series on Kinship Carer self-care and wellbeing. It was recorded and produced on Jara Country, the land of the Jaja Wurrung people, and we extend our ongoing respect to all Kulin Nation peoples, the traditional custodians of these lands, and pay respect to the elders, both past and present, and to the deep knowledge of the land that is embedded within the Indigenous communities. What are the latest trends in nutrition? What does the latest research say about what and how we should eat? And the children in our care, in particular neurodiverse or trauma-affected children, what should they eat? In this podcast, we seek out expert opinion on a broad range of current topics regarding nutrition and answer some of the more common questions from carers regarding this topic. We spoke with Nikki Valentini, a clinical nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner and director of Supernature Nutrition, about latest trends and research on diet and nutrition. Nikki is an avid cook and has catered for wellness retreats for more than 10 years. Good food is her passion. We first asked Nikki how important she believes diet and nutrition is to our overall well-being. So diet and nutrition affects well-being in so many different ways. So vitality, energy, mood, obviously physical health, and obviously as part of all of that is digestive health. So if we talk about well-being, there are nutrients that specifically speak to those things, or if those nutrients are depleted in the body, then those things will suffer. So mood, we often look at different B vitamins or energy we look at certain amino acids so diet and nutrition is so completely important in balancing out your body for well-being and we see a lot in this day and age the imbalance comes from too many refined carbohydrates it's a big thing and that that stops the absorption of all these great nutrients when we have too much of that or fill up on too much of that stuff Many kinship carers have neurodiverse children in their care, whether that be autism, ADHD, FASD, or some other trauma-related condition which may affect emotion, learning ability, self-control, or memory. Nikki spoke about the links between these issues and gut health, and suggests some ways carers can help their young people eat more balanced, nutritional food. Essentially, with the way our body works, our, our brain is feeding from nutrients um, and the components of nutrients and the food that we eat and receiving information from those nutrients. But in ADHD and autism, the messaging that comes, this is quite complex, but the messaging that comes into the brain is scrambled because the nutrients aren't there to allow it to follow the path it needs to follow. And the brain, as we know more and more about now, is very connected to the gut via um, the vagus nerve and the enteric nervous system. So there's a sort of a little nerve that, that flows from the center of the brain right down to the gut. So when the gut is happy and it's eating the foods that it can assimilate and take in to the body, the brain will receive the signaling that everything's okay on one level. The other thing is, uh, chemicals like serotonin that are produced in the gut from food that is 
um, well-balanced whole foods that our body is able to take up, a serotonin is produced. And serotonin is a calming neurotransmitter for one. So if you think of ADHD in particular, in this equation, uh, it's it, serotonin calms the superhighway, this nerve superhighway running from our brain to our gut, the vagus nerve. It soothes all the frays. Like it's like an electrical line that's running along the road. The electrical lines can only hold so much electricity in one, or else they'll actually kind of fray and explode. So there's there's got to be this regular pulse of electricity coming through them. And it's kind of the same with the vagus through the vagus nerve with the brain and the gut. So if we're producing enough neurotransmitters, if we're absorbing enough nutrients, the signaling to our brain is calmer and clearer. And if you think about that, then then the processing in the brain becomes calmer and clearer. One other adjunct to that is that toxicity in the environment can block that, no matter how well you're eating, can block that signaling from being very clear. So that is actually, uh, it's actually quite a quite a nuanced area of, of research in regards to ADHD and autism and there's lots of stuff out there but uh, so we first look at nutrition the diet to get that right and make sure there's nothing stimulating the brain in a way that the brain can't process and then we work from there with kids on the spectrum I often work very slowly because there's sensory things there around food and everything, you know, clothing and labels and all of it. So I start very, very slowly because it's an, it's something for parents to have to manage. You know, I'm not anti-vegetarian by any stretch, but having a good amount of protein that's covering the bases means you have less of these carbohydrates. And gluten, for example, particularly things like white bread gluten, really excitatory for the brain. It blocks sort of these calming receptors in the brain. And so it's it frays the signaling again and again. The more protein you have, the less you need that stuff. Things like tofu or bone broth based soups and have it like gluten-free noodles, pasta noodles in it. That's that often kids kind of like those kind of things. Um, simple, trying to find ways that they'll have eggs. In the least with some kids, and it's not my favorite, but it's putting putting pro good protein powders, not junky protein powders in smoothies or collagen powder in smoothies as a start. Many people make meals they are familiar with and stick to, especially in times of stress. Nikki discusses some common eating habits which many people would benefit from changing. The most common dietary habits um, in my clients would be addiction to gluten and sugar. I don't always ask people to quit sugar though, so that's not always the thing, but the addiction to sugar is intense, intense. And the addiction to gluten is quite intense as well. So the easiest way to quit things is to have more protein. So when we focus on what we can't have, it's one thing because we're kind of hungry. If some people come in and tell me, I ate, um, wheat bix for breakfast, a sandwich for lunch, and pasta for dinner. If you think about that, that's a lot of white glutinous foods, often glutinous. Um, even if it was gluten-free, that's a lot of white foods. So I often I get people to sort of change the way the meal works. If it's a bolognese pasta, can you have more sauce than pasta as a start? Or 
you know, can you have it on a potato? Because even that's a little bit better. Have have a bolognese sauce on a potato. But yeah, gluten and sugar are the biggest ones. I feel sometimes uh, like I'm going around in circles all day telling people the same thing, particularly about gluten. But um, it's pretty foundational. It doesn't work for most people. And for some weird people, it's fine. It's, it's not a one size fits all, but it doesn't work for most people. The idea of intermittent fasting or restricting the times of the day when we allow ourselves to eat has become a popular item on our news feeds. Nikki speaks about the benefits or otherwise of fasting and questions whether it is the right approach for everyone. Intermittent fasting is great for some things and some people. If you are under a lot of stress, it's not necessarily a great thing because it actually uh, it actually causes more adrenal stress, and adrenal stress uh, follows a cascade of issues in the body. If your adrenals or your um, fight flight response is elevated consistently, and it comes from what you perceive outside you, like there's a tiger I need to run from, and it comes from what your body perceives from the inside as well. So if you're underfed or you're you're not eating um, and you're sort of starving yourself to a period of time which you'll then allow yourself to eat your adrenals come on because it's a survival moment so if you're under a lot of stress I don't suggest a lot of intermittent fasting it depends on your age as well and your body weight and a number of factors as a woman I don't suggest a lot of intermittent fasting possibly on week two of your cycle it's an okay time to do intermittent fasting or all fasting um, because your hormones are leveling out and they'll manage that the rest of the month it's not a great time to be intermittent fasting because it actually will affect your hormones so for a woman who's trying to maintain her hormones um, and if she has any issues with her cycle and these things I say you're better off eating protein for breakfast because you're leveling out your hormones and it's absolutely incredible how that works. Also, what I find a lot of people do is that they'll starve themselves till 12, till two o'clock in the afternoon. The insulin receptors in their body have gone, what, what? And there's a whole lot of glycogen that's broken down and dumped from the muscles. So you're sort of spiking your blood sugar by doing it, particularly if you're stressed. And then you crave food later in the night. A lot of people then get to the nighttime because they've starved themselves in the morning. And by the nighttime, is they'll, they'll, have, they'll think they can eat as much as they like. And then they'll have something sweet after dinner. And then you're sort of tanking your, your whole um, glycemic load again, and you're going to bed on that. So essentially, if you're in a calm place and you're having a good protein diet and you're eating enough calories in the window of time that you are allowing to be your window of time and you're a man, that's actually okay. That's an okay thing. But I do often see that most people are too stressed to really properly intermittent fast. Because in the short term, people do feel great from not eating. And in the long term, you mess with other parts of your blood sugar and your hormones essentially. How important is chewing our food properly and eating slowly and consciously? Nikki explains. The first thing that begins the process of our stomach, it happens even when I think about it, but the first thing is the smell. If we're cooking sort of with 
a presence to that. We inhale that smell of the food and then, well, the saliva starts to happen. And that's the first stage of breaking down the food. Your stomach acid is next because the saliva triggers the stomach acid. The stomach acid then triggers the liver and pancreas to release the enzymes. So they're all really important mechanisms. If you rush, one of them may not turn on. If you don't stop to sort of experience food, your body isn't going to be producing as well those secretions, which sort of pulverize it into nothing, into just the tiniest particles, which then land in your small intestine, which is where they're absorbed. And if they're not small and tiny pulverized tiny pieces, they don't get absorbed and they also cause irritation in the gut. So, so good to eat slowly, chewing slowly, eating slowly, mindfully eating, the best thing. Nikki is a firm believer in making sure people start their day with a good amount of protein. She tells us why this is important as we age. For females, particularly as you get up sort of into your late 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, protein. The amino acids are the building blocks of, um, as I've mentioned, our detox pathways. They're the building blocks of our muscles. They're the building blocks of our enzymes. The enzymes aren't just the food, the thing that breaks down food. Enzymes are created so our cells know how to behave. So it's really deeply foundational in the body that those amino acids are there in, in enough and abundance in a way that we can take them up. A good protein breakfast could be, there's a smoothie with protein in it, an egg or some protein powder that's really good. That's okay, that's an okay breakfast. If you don't suddenly get hungry an hour later, that's telling you that that's not your breakfast. Eating um, bacon and eggs, but eating it without toast is much better than eating it with toast because you're actually adding this whole weird mix of carbohydrate and fat if you add the toast. And people often find that they won't get hungry for longer if they have something like that, uh, eggs and bacon. With males, like a good granola or muesli with a lot of nuts and seeds, that's gonna be okay for them. Some people advocate for sausages and things or steak for breakfast. I don't mind that at all. I think that's quite a good beginning. You know, you can almost turn your day on its head. So eat dinner for breakfast. <laughs> so that's, that's quite a good one because that will level you out. It can seem like every year there is a new wonder diet to follow and there is a confusing amount of information available to us via the internet and other media. Nikki has some great advice on trying out new food fads. If there's something that attracts you in what you read, like about intermittent fasting, uh, read the opposite as well. And so that could be with um, a vegan diet or a carnivore diet. Read the opposite too. It might confuse you as well. I deal all day with people who are confused about what they read and it isn't one size fits all. Intermittent fasting benefits you in this, this and this way, so do it. That's not how it works. We're all very different. We're in different stages of our lives. We're in different stages of our nutrition. We're in, you know, our stress levels are different. We're genetically different. So feel into it. Feel, really think about how you, how you feel doing that thing. And often people feel great when they make a change. So making changes is great. If you, if you make one change, you will feel different. There, it will happen, particularly if it's foundational thing like sugar. You'll feel different. So 
you know, I, I suggest often with the fad things, moderation is better. Yeah, we have to, we have our signaling has kind of become confused with sugar cravings and carb cravings, particularly those two things. So we do get confused about how we actually feel. Oh yeah, I ate it so I felt better because I had energy for a moment, but actually I felt crap later. You've got to observe how that is for you really in a, in a longer term than just that moment or that week. Mm. And eat food that's whole. Try not to eat foods from packets. You know, you'll take up a lot more from food that is what your body can recognize. And when you leave a lot of food, well, things around that your body doesn't recognize inside yourself, it's junk. Even going to the fish and chip shop is better than eating a packeted food that isn't quite, that is full of a lot of numbers and fillers. So the takeaway messages from our conversation with Nikki on diet and nutrition are as follows. Work at least on the 80 to 20 rule, with 80% of what you eat being healthy food. Whole foods and foods your grandmother would recognise are key. Avoid foods with additives and fillers. Neurodiverse children or those affected by trauma can benefit greatly from a healthy diet free of these additives, as well as gluten-free, sugar-free alternatives. Include some protein in every meal and aim to eat your food slowly and consciously to digest it better and enjoy it more. Aim to eat a variety of plant-based foods. And try to cut down on your amount of sugar and gluten. Our typical diets in this country mean we consume far too much of these two. In the next podcast in this series, we'll look at the importance of play in children's psychological and physical health. This podcast was made possible by the generous support from the Department of Families, Fairness and Housing and the Carer Cafe.